Uh, good eye, everyone. Today, my guest is a close personal friend and lovely human being, Reese Nicholson. You'll know him as the newest judge for Drag Race Dan Under, but he's also just a very uh, interesting, fascinating little sprite. And I can't wait for you to hear our episode together. So sink your teeth into some hijinks. Forever. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by comedian, queer activist, and new permanent judge on Drag Race Down Under. It's Reese Nicholson. Hi, Reese. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> did I do it right? Did I say the right it. thing? You did it. Um, hello, Jinx. I, I was this close to saying hello, hello. Jinx. Good day. Hello, um, Jinx. <laughs> hello, Reese. Now, we've been friends for quite some time. Um, yes. We, but I think I, we're very, we're millennial friends in that we've been friends for a long time, many years now. But I reckon we've met in real life, I want to say seven times at the most. Yeah, but we've, we've all, I mean, the fact that every time I'm in Australia, I make a point to see you. That's yes, more than, absolutely. that's more than I usually have capacity for, for a lot of people. And we seem to <laughs> cross paths in other straight, like we were both in New York at the same time. So yeah. I went to visit you at Wigstock. Like there's, a, there's been these times in the last kind of five or six years where we just kind of cross over into each other's. Like if I'm somewhere, sometimes I will just check to see, like, do you ever do a check? In the before times when we all travelled as much as we used to, you're just like, do I know anyone in this capital city at the moment? Who can I go and have a drink with or a meal? Anyways, I've completely taken over the podcast already. I'm sorry. Uh, hardly. Um, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when you've taken over and you've got a long way to go, babe. Um, I just remember, like, I was doing some research um, before my first stint in Australia. Mm -hmm. And, like, the two names that were popping out at me the most as far as, like, queer entertainers I wanted to meet while I was there um, was you and Joel Creasy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was just kind of immediate. Like, like, I got into Australia and immediately met Joel. And then, like, shortly after, immediately met you. Like, um... Yeah, we were. It was Adelaide Fringe, right? And so, yeah. Now this is, uh, and there are pictures somewhere on the internet of the first, uh, like the night that we met, and it's probably within about fifteen minutes of us meeting, because uh, <laughs> we were in some bar or something. I remember you were wearing like a weed jumpsuit that was kind of like a poison yeah. ivy. Yeah. Kind of. Thing. I remember. Yes, yes, I remember that exactly. It was um, my my show, The Vaudevillians, was coming yes. through for the fringe, the summer fringe festival tour, and um, I think that was like we performed in a nightclub, and then later that night, you know, it was a theater during the yeah. <laughs> during the early evening, and then it was a nightclub later. So I got out of my vaudeville do up and got into my pink wig and weed jumpsuit. And I got to say, Australia just, like, opened up its legs and sucked me in. Oh, my God. Like, just immediately. Especially I... that that festival as well. The Adelaide Fringe. Now, no offence to Adelaide. It's not the most metropolitan, vibrant place the rest of the year. That's And then it really kicks up. That's, you know, that's the funny thing about... I've only ever, for years, I only ever went during festival season. So I thought, like, all these towns are, like, big hopping, bebopping towns. But the first time I went in the off season, I was like, oh, Adelaide kind of seems like a old western ghost town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like they a seem like the type town. of place where they, they still say things like bebop town. <laughs> Bebopping, I can hip hop and the hip and the hop and the bibbity bop, uh, and, and, the... and I am also I can make a mean cup of cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, and now, actually, and I, I was thinking about this just today, thinking about this, thinking about doing this podcast. I realized you were, you are my gateway drug to Drag Race. Before I met you, I will admit I, I had not watched a single frame of Drag Race because it hadn't really come to Australia yet. Like, as in, it was on pay TV, that- but. That was a that was a difficult thing of that <laughs> tour because I had just come off of months and months of my show being extended off Broadway in New York City. Yes. And uh um my producer, my Australian producer came and saw our show and loved it and thought it would be a smash hit mm-hmm. in the fringe circuit. But here's the thing. <laughs> about fringe circuits is it's a cumulative thing yeah. to be successful at a fringe festival you have to have gone to that fringe festival for like a couple years and yeah. people know to expect you there and then make their plans to see your show because there's yeah. so many shows happening you got to really delegate your time and the only way around that is if you're a really big name and people are just like, I'm going to go see their show because it's that person. Yeah. So we went there with the assumption that the latter was going to happen. And then about two weeks in, I was like, wait a second, has no one seen Drag Race here yet? And they were like, it's beginning to seem that way. <laughs> and I remember I met you and then um, and we had a great time and then... I went back home, back to where I was living at the time in Sydney, and thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start watching this drag race show. Maybe I'll start watching Jinx Maybe this season. Maybe there's something to this drag Maybe race. Maybe there's something to it. Jump forward, like, six years, and I'm a judge on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Things really took a turn. It really did. Um, I have no problem telling you. Um, I think I've always been very transparent. <laughs> Um, uh, subtlety is not my strong suit Mm. but um, when we first met I had the biggest crush on you because you are this um, Tilda Swinton looking uber Mm -hmm. queer lispy Nelly gay comedian I'm a Nance I'm a Nance and I just find that so endearing I loved your stand up because it's very your stand up is very much how you are judging on Drag Race Um, I feel I feel like on Drag Race, um, there's this uh, tendency to like hint around the, you know, lots of puns, lots of innuendo, uh, hinting around kind of naughty, risque things. I watched episode one of Down Under today and you just literally, you don't have any innuendo. You're just like, I love it when balls slap against my asshole. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, and I remember that was, so that was my first day of filming as well. And so, of course, and you would know this, obviously, but from probably the other point of view, like, you know, this is the first time I was in the main, like, on the, in the main stage. And the first, I'd I'd met Michelle a few times and, like, we were hanging out a lot, but this is also the first day I properly met Rue. And uh, I just couldn't even, I was so nervous and bonkers, I couldn't even make puns or anything. So, yeah, just ball slapping on my asshole was the thing that came to me. <laughs> and I, I love that Michelle, a seasoned, uh, a seasoned... <laughs> trained judge of drag race is sitting over there doing the classic like I see London I see France and then it cuts to you and you're like I see this queen fucking me up the ass (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is though I think this is my approach to it is that I was when I got the job I was uh, pretty nervous like well what because I am such a fan of I mean I've always been a huge fan of drag and then that turns into a fan of drag race Uh, like Joel Creasy has always said, like, and, you know, the night that we met it is an, ex- is an example of this. Quite often when we were younger, we would go to gay bars and he would lose me after about an hour and he'd <laughs> always find me sitting in, like, a like a pile of drag queens. Like, you know, often, like, in a gay bar, there'll just be, like, a clusterfuck of drag queens in a yeah. corner and I'd just be sitting in the middle, usually on some sort of substance, just being like, and tell me more <laughs> about everything. Um, but... My this sounds so dumb, but like I think people aren't used to seeing a judge on whether it be Drag Race or any show having a wildly good time. Does that make <laughs> sense? Like, like as in I there's like um I mean obviously everyone judging is having a good time, but I'm like sitting there going, I cannot believe I'm here, guys. <laughs> isn't this crazy? And like I just got to, I get to watch drag queens do their best thing every week, and why wouldn't you be excited to see that? So yeah, I think that's 
like there's been I've been staying out of the comments, but the nicest things I've seen people saying is like, "Wow, Reese is really having a good time," <laughs> or like you, he's really living to be there. Yeah, I mean, we've always we've always cut it up together, and yeah, I have to say, um, you're talking about partying in Australia, and you Ooh. know. Um, queer communities, it's very regional. You know, you go to different parts of the world and you're going to celebrate in different ways. I don't know how I survived partying in Australia. I thought Americans could party. I thought the British could party. You have not actually partied until you've gone to the Sydney Mardi Gras Festival. Oh and it's 9 a.m. the next morning and you're you're stumbling out of the club and it's daylight and you're you're going to the after club of the after club and you can't remember everything you've drank and and swallowed yeah (laughs) i mean there's flashes and that's probably enough or too much of anything yeah mardi gras is one of those interesting things where even like a couple days later you can be like am i home i don't even know if i'm home yet or am i still partying like it's yeah mardi gras but it's I love that I because I think I, I've never been to an American Pride, but I guess it's probably the same where there's, there's two sides to it where it's also like incredibly wholesome and like yeah. families and stuff. And then there's this witching hour where the parade gets dismantled and people just start fucking on the streets. <laughs> and it's it's also it's quite lovely. It's like and I, and I think as the years have gone on as well, Mardi Gras, you know, Mardi Gras, like most Pride events started as a pretty hardcore protest and yeah. the 78ers are like the uh, the first one was 1978 and it was quite and the police were involved it was quite violent and um over the years it's become more of like a, a celebration until now it's like you know huge banks are supporting it and like it's this <laughs> yeah. kind of corporate side to it um but it is there's that do you ever find like i think we're the generation of we're probably the first generation that felt less like there's still obviously oppression, but like as queer people that we're the first kind of ones that felt a little bit like, like I never really had to come out to my parents very much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had to come out to my family, but no one was surprised. Yeah. Yes. And I was also, I grew up somewhere where it was safe enough and I was supported enough yes. to come out at like age 14. Yeah, or me too. 13, I guess, is when I first started having the conversation. And by 14, you know, I was like, Fully out. Yeah. Um, and I talked to, you know, the generation before me and they just can't believe that was possible, you know, to safely come out. Not like I didn't still have moments of being bullied and Absolutely. moments of like. Uh, we we it, wouldn't do what we do if we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, you know, like we are definitely um, blessed. And then I look at the younger generation and it's like my, my youngest brother, um, is also queer and he like, it's now so far in that direction that like, (laughs) I, I, it's funny that this is such a foreign concept to me, but he's like a young person whose friends are like equally He's got just as many straight friends as he does queer friends. Yeah. And there was a thing. I just feel like me in my 20s, it was like there was no way to combine those two worlds. No. Like straight people didn't know enough about the LGBT pubes. <laughs> the LGBT pubes? <laughs> the pubes. The straight community did not know enough about the LGBTQ plus community for us yeah. to intersect very often um, because it was just, you know, you're from different worlds. And now sexuality just isn't as big of a thing. So like, there is more integration between the straight community and the queer community in a way that I was like, well, that seems amazing. But also, where's your... <laughs> Like, what do you talk about? Yeah, like, where do, what do you, who, who stamps your oppression card? Like, where do you, like, like, what, what are the, what other than gripes in your life? I don't, I don't know what I would talk about in my life at all with my friends. Like, ah, oh, I'm so bored of being accepted and happy, which is interesting because I, I've often wondered that, like, what will be, uh, and this sounds too deep probably, but like, you know, what, what it, every generation has something that they don't understand. Like the, I feel like the older queer generation, and this is a broad generalization, but there is kind of like, 
a lot of misunderstandings that, you know, I think even about gender stuff, it's still yeah. kind of hard for a, a lot of older queers to get their head around, like, because things were more binary because they needed to be when they were younger. Yeah. Like, what is the thing that you and I are not going to understand <laughs> about the younger generation? I'm, you know what I'm, I mean? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, TikTok, for one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the hip and the hop and the tick and the tuck. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I look at it all as it's, you, you got to take the good with the bad, you know, you got to take the, the double-edged sword of it all. Because I've, I've said oftentimes that it's like there is a certain galvanization that comes with having to fight for your right to be queer. Yeah. And now that um, it's kind of just handed over to you, you know, you come out. I was talking to a friend who my videographer is a full um, oh my gosh, a full like 14 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. But we went to the same high school and I was talking about how I had some bullies in high school where they g- gave me a really hard time and the the school took the action of giving them a stern talking to and that was it. And then from that moment on, I was just on my own. And um, my friend Liam went to the same high school and he's like, oh, one slur and they'd be out of there. Like if someone had ever called me a faggot once, they would have been gone. And I'm like, I got called faggot daily and was told that like because of their religious views, I had to just kind of like, you know, not acknowledge it. So I would sit there and just pretend I couldn't hear this guy calling me a faggot all through chemistry class. Um, And when I would talk to teachers about it. They would talk to him and his solution was to like disguise it. So he'd go, it. I had exactly <laughs> the same thing happen. And we, we're so the same as well that the only thing worse than being a faggot in those days is being mm-hmm. a ginger faggot. And oh boy. Oh and we're both boy. ginger by choice, I think it yeah. should be pointed yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> we, good point. Good we point. claim ginger problems, but... Um, hashtag, but it's, <laughs> hashtag ginger problems. We've always um, shared a passion uh, for Tilda Swinton. Yeah. And we've both um, compared ourselves to Tilda Swinton yeah. endlessly. Yeah. Um, but out of the two of us, only one of us actually looks passable for Tilda Swinton. I'm like living in a, I'm living in a fool's paradise. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I think, you know, maybe at time, like I think uh, I've seen you in costumes before that, could be very definitely a Tilda Tilda vibe. I have Different Tilda t- you know. inspired looks, but like at the end of the day, one of us is a pointy, um, angular, <laughs> androgynous alien, and the other one is like Bette Midler's drag daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm going to tell you now on the podcast, I officially relent. My claims to Tilda Swinton, and I give them to you fully. (laughs) Take the crown. I did. I've always wanted to. My dream merch, and I've wanted to do this for a long time, but I think it would be too expensive to do it. I want to make a coffee table book that on one side of each page is a screenshot from a Tilda Swinton movie, and the other side is a meticulously recreated with me in it. And that's the whole book. That's the whole <laughs> That's thing. The whole there's book. no, there's no reason for it. It doesn't give any money to charity. It doesn't make any money. It just exists. <laughs> yeah, you can't make any money because you don't own any of those tilde. Of images. those things. Yeah, you're just gonna put yourself through hell recreating every look. Yeah. For, for your own. Yeah, you know, being a comedian <laughs> or a drag queen, <laughs> putting yourself through hell to recreate a look. <laughs> Or no, create a look. But yeah. To potentially no payoff. Um, <laughs> hey, drink tickets sometimes. <laughs> Have you ever done drag yourself, Reese? No, and I i mean, you know, not in a meaningful way, in the kind of way that everyone who says, I've done drag, and it's like, no, you put on a wig at a party. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of wigs. I did want to. It was the, I mean, I have that standard um, uh, story of like, uh, I want uh, is it a standard story? But like, I wanted to when I when it was the moment I learned what a drag queen was when I was like probably too young to learn what a drag queen was. I was like, oh, I want to be that, which is so indicative of how queer I was when I was little. Which I remember my mum. Ex- I saw Priscilla when I was probably like ten, but she fast forwarded through the 
um, you know, ping pong parts. Uh, <laughs> but it was VHS, so I still saw it. It was just faster. Um, and I was like, what is this? And she was like, the very way my amazing mum explained in the mid-90s what a um, drag queen was, which is like, well, it's it's someone who can kind of decide what they are that day, that they can be a, a woman or a man. And to, like, yeah. my 10-year-old brain, that was like, what the fuck? Like, well, I want to be that. And then we're at a dinner party and someone did that thing you do to 10-year-olds. It's like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I very confidently apparently just went, a drag queen, to, like, a table <laughs> of suburban people. Um, uh, and I gave my... When I was 17 or it was about 10, 18, I was moving to Sydney, I made myself like a little thing in my head that was like, if comedy doesn't work, start working in like a year year or two, I want to go full-blown into and try and get into drag because I wanted to focus on one or the other. Like yeah. I didn't feel like I could do both and do them both Well, justice. you know, there was, there was a time <clears> there <throat> that was pretty true. You know, when I went to acting school, I basically gave up on drag because I thought there's no way I'll be taken seriously as an actor um, if I'm also trying to maintain my drag career, you know? Well, it wasn't even a take seriously thing for me. It was more of like a, I'm not going to be able to put the focus into, because they're kind of the they they work the same hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And there, there's that hard truth too, but I, I learned very quickly First of all, once a drag queen, it's really hard to let it go. You know, yeah. I, I see some girls who who retire from drag and I'm like, how'd you manage to do that? Because anytime I've even like hinted at the idea that I was going to even take a break, um, yeah. drag just found its way constantly back into my life. You know, it and was very... <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it's the mafia. You can't, yeah. you, they take you into a basement, uh, Coco Peru cuts your hand <laughs> and uh, you have to burn a card, I think. Um it's a, I think that's a mafia thing. Uh, yeah, and I think what, for me at least, what happened because of that is that I I would never, ever, ever say that what I do is close to the artistry of what drag is, but I've, create, I've like created a look. Like I wanted, I always, from a get-go, I was like, I want to wear a lot of makeup. I paint my nails. I've kind of, conf- I confuse pronouns on stage on purpose. Like I call myself mama and she and stuff. Like I... I wanted to veer closer to the sun. <laughs> um, You're drag adjacent. I'm drag adjacent. I'm, know, a, I'm an ally. And if we really look at drag as like the most like free and open version of what drag can be, you know, I think there's plenty of examples of, um, you know, people who you wouldn't think at first like, oh, that's drag. But when you really scrutinize it, you're not, you're like Pee Wee Herman, drag yep. character. Yep. Bette Midler's entire body of work is essentially, Bette Midler's probably one of the most successful female impersonators of Absolutely. all time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes she's not that good. <laughs> and, I, and I think of Bette Midler specifically because if you look at Bette, who Bette Midler is, she is um, a short, brassy Jewish woman you know, from Hawaii yeah. and then New York. Yeah. And, but what she's been playing until, you know, until recently is a sex symbol. You know, like in the 80s and 90s, she was very much a sex symbol, um, even though she ticks none of the boxes for what a sex symbol was at that time. <laughs> totally. Like she, she like recreated what is, and I, I, the, I think there's certain women specifically of that era and a little bit before that did that. Like Elaine Stritch is another one for me that like, uh, I every time every year when I have to write a new tour show and I um, really put a highlighter over have to there. Uh, <laughs> oh, Reese has got a mortgage, um, but please <laughs> come to my tour shows. Um, the I watch Elaine Stritch's Live at Liberty because I think it's like a pretty perfect show of like yeah. in terms of uh, scripting and, and tone and banter and stuff. But yeah, she made herself into like a bit of a sex symbol in a very different way that was like yeah. Look, I'm not. I'm never going to wear pants again. Well into my eighties, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you're going to find that sexy. But yeah, and actually, I recently got lost on a YouTube hole of because um, I'm in Canada at the moment, and they um, have legalized weed here, and I don't live in a country <laughs> where that has happened. So I've uh, been spending a lot of time on YouTube and watched um, all the times that Bette Midler has presented awards, kind of in the eighties, where uh-huh. like, especially like, I think. Maybe we do a similar thing here as well, where I like to be, the reason I kind of dress up and stuff as well, I'm kind of a very specific, I like to look at kind of 60s 
mm-hmm. kind of era of clothes is because I want to be the messy person at the classy event. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. like, and it seems that's what Bette Midler was for a long time. Like, turning well, yeah. up at the Oscars and, like, I think is it when she's giving an Oscar for the best song and she says um, Everlasting Love uh, from the Everlasting movie, Everlasting, like, as it, like she's just, like, roasting people yeah. at the Oscars, <laughs> which has kind of never been done before except for the monologue. Anyways. Well, you think of, you know, like she started her career in the bathhouses performing yeah. for, for gay men in Barry um, Manilow, private right? clubs, you know. And if you've ever seen her live show, she's doing drag, you yeah. know. And even her movie career, that's where I really feel like she was playing a sex symbol when she was a squat little um, yeah. frumpy Jewish woman, you know. <laughs> and it's like, it's like be the <laughs> sex symbol she, you want to see in the world. <laughs> I, I, I need to clarify, I'm not saying that Jewish women can't be sex symbols, but it was like at the time she yeah. was reinventing, you know, we just didn't see that kind of in your face. Like um, she was abroad. She was yes. abroad at a time when what was being celebrated were these tall statuesque um, Anglo-Saxon women. And she was like, hey, I'm not that, but I'm going to do everything they do. And that's yeah. why I think she's kind of always been a drag performer because and what, I, what are drag queens if not like delusional? Um, <laughs> uh, they believe in their delusion so much that they have constructed a reality in which you too must acknowledge their delusion. And it's that power thing as well. It's like the, and I think I try and do it not like a sex symbol kind of way, but in a, like my stand up is, Oh, here's a story and here's what I wish I had have said on that. Like it's the most confident version of me. And so it's yeah. like, it's that kind of thing of, you know, you know, it's like, this is my drag persona of like the, you know, my drag adjacent persona. But yeah. And I think there's an amazing thing happening in comedy at the moment where there's a, I don't know how to word this without it sounding kind of weird, but like uh, the, there's a, there's a female empowerment happening in, and a, and a, queer uh, and kind of gender non-specific empowerment happening in comedy at the moment where there is like a lot of, there's a lot of brassy broads kind of coming up through stand-up at the moment. Like it's not, it feels like even 10 years ago you had to be uh, to be a uh, a non-cis gender, non-cis male in comedy. You had to be a bit of a like early Amy Schumer's work kind of comedian that's like, I don't know, I guess I'm just, kind of a slut like that was kind of the vibe <laughs> does that make sense yeah yeah like you had to <laughs> like an overemphasis on your sexuality like an in-your-face attitude about your sexuality because I-, I guess just for so long it was like if you were not the ideal like poster child of what people find sexy then you were not supposed to have a sexuality yeah. you know or if you had a sexuality it had to be audacious you know yes. it had to be like can you believe this person has sex yeah <laughs> they, it's they're like... 10 they're 10 pounds heavier than than the average weight for their height and can you believe that they too have she sex fucks? <laughs> what <laughs> like carla on cheers yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, Wow. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's plenty of examples of people doing drag who aren't necessarily drag queens. So it's it's fun for me. Um, I've been saying this for a while. It's amazing that we are living in a time where our gay icons are gay people. Because for so long, gay icons were, um, you know, female allies because they were doing what we weren't allowed to do. They were representing culture from the queer community that queer people weren't allowed to do because that was just not uh, that was deemed unpalatable to watch queer people be queer. So we had to watch women be queer on screen. Yeah. Be queer for us. Yeah. Be queer for us. (laughs) And I hope that we're also leaning into a time when um, you can be camp without that being confused. Like I'm a naturally camp person. And I think you are as well. Like we are camp people. (gasps) (laughs) But like, you know, there's a, there's a way that we speak and, you know, I've got a lisp and all this, and I've just always spoken like this, like, and 
okay, here's a weird example is like, I used to talk, I used to do material about this, but like years ago, I was a voice in a commercial, like a Christmas commercial that ran for a few <laughs> years. It was like, I was a, um, it was for a department store. Uh, and it, I was like a, a Christmas, what's the word? Like a reindeer, like an ornament. And <laughs> I just spoke in my regular voice. And there was a few like gay presses uh, <laughs> that were like, Maya, the department stores, their Christmas ad is homophobic. This is a negative portrayal of a gay man. No one sounds like this. And I had to get my publicist to put out a statement to be like, um, no, that's just my voice. Yeah. Uh, that's just how I talk. Uh, so, like, fi- like I-, I hope we're getting to a point where, you know, that kind of queer community infighting that kind of happens of, like, yeah. you can be queer, but you can't be that old style of queer. It's like, well, no, it's just... It's just always existed. Yeah. Does that make sense? And you, yeah. I mean, like, I definitely have been there as I started drag at 15 and I have been told that drag queens hold the community back. And Oof. that's frustrating because it's like we are a part of the community. So if we're fighting for our community to have representation and freedom to be, to freedom to exist, then it has to be for everyone, not just what's deemed palatable you know yeah and i think we are making a lot of progress but i i continually find that there's a sliver of room for super uber duper queer people and there's like a a a little like a a little slice of the pie where it's like we're gonna give you a catchphrase and uh we're gonna give you a moment on the show but really when we're watching queer characters on tv they are in general, very attractive, very like quote unquote palatable, and um, well, it's like when the I remember when the when the new Queer Eye came out, there was kind of a bit of a weird conversation that was like, "Well, I'm so glad these aren't the stereotypes of the old Queer Eye." And it's like, do you know how important Queer Eye was to me when yeah. I was like a teenager? Like to see like Carson, who was openly sexual on that mm-hmm. show, like kind of talking about like the straight man's arms when he was like dressing them and stuff like that and like flirting with like to me to be on and it was on like a major network in Australia to see that was like so important to me to see like a sexual effeminate gay man that also wasn't like get over here and fuck or like you know I I I had sex once and then I got murdered like like in an SVU episode or something like to be just a comfortable with himself over the top gay man was so important to me. I felt very much the same um, for queer as folk when, yes. you know, like that might have been criticized for like, oh, you're implying that everyone in the queer community is just slutty and having lots of sex. And it's like, well, I've watched like straight people be slutty and have lots of sex on TV for years. And now I'm excited to be told that it's OK to be queer and have sexuality. Yeah. And talk and it's about not a- it. And it's not a death sentence. And it's not a dirty secret that we have to, like, hide, you know. I I think (laughs) progress is when we are allowed to be just as much of an asshole as everyone else. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Like, I'm doing this, like, job at the moment uh, where, and I'm just by existing and having the voice that I have, I'm playing a queer character. But it is not at any point... uh, we don't have to cover it at any point in the show. Mm-hmm. We don't, and I am kind of an asshole in the show, and I love that I'm an asshole. Like yeah. it's not, and it's not because I'm gay that I'm an asshole. I just happen to be one. I'm really appreciative of how many times lately there is a queer character in a show, and the introduction of that character isn't a big coming out story. No, nah. it's just like it's a given. This person is queer. These people exist in the world. If that's shocking to you, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. There's even like, I think I was watching, um, oh, what's the movie with um, uh, Jonah Hill's sister, Beanie, uh, book smart. And did you watch that at all? Baby, if it's not animated or about witches, I probably okay. haven't seen it. All right. well, they are, there is a lesbian in it. Does that count? Um, but anyway, there's a queer character in that, one of the leads, and it's and her parents are totally, like, it's just there was no kind of moment. There was no kind of, it's just, like, mentioned along the way. And you're like, oh, yeah, she's queer. Cool. Yeah. I yeah. just get excited about stuff like that. And now we've gotten to the point where um, the animated show The Great North has a queer character in it. <laughs> and I think on the first episode, 
he comes out to his family and their response is, we know you've come out like three times. Yeah. Like it's a a joke on top of like, we don't need this. Fucking move on. (laughs) I want to talk about a... um, an activist stunt that you, that you oh, pulled yes. off in 2016 to highlight the importance of marriage equality in Australia. You publicly married lesbian and fellow comedian Zoe Coombs Marr at the Melbourne. Did you hear me say that? Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. So. <laughs> What I also happened? didn't know this. I just happened. Really? I just happened to stumble on a clip of you on a quiz show. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. On a panel show <laughs> talking um, about this. <laughs> so, yeah, like years ago. So Zoe Kimsmire is this um, like very close friend of mine. And she's one of those people. She's like, you know, you have people in your life who are a lot smarter than you. Like she, she's, a, she's a comedian. Yes. Okay. <laughs> good point. Forgot who I was talking to. Um, so I'll talk, I'll talk slow. Um, the... <laughs> Uh, she's uh, she's a stand-up, but she's also like you know she makes theatre and she's like dramaturgs other people's shows, and she's just one of those wise. What what the gay community is, uh, what we need so often a a wise sagely lesbian um, <laughs> who like in early on very early on in my career when I was a very like she, I was a bad quite aggressive and trying to be like a shock comedian. I remember I was like backstage once talking about how I just didn't agree with any of my material anymore. And she just very calmly said, then stop doing it. You're being yeah. an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, good point. Um, anyways, <laughs> but, um, we, and we became really close friends and we were at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and she does a character called Dave, which is like a kind of drag king, but it's it's like more, it's like a, I don't know how to explain it because within the festival circuit, it became such a big thing and won kind of all the major awards within kind of comedy and fringe festivals where she plays like a, a toxic male comedian. But I feel like when I say that everyone has an idea in their head of what that is, but yeah. it's like, it was, she would do a kind of one person play every night that <laughs> had like a lot of fake blood and vomit in it. And it was <laughs> incredible. Um, there's, there's a special of, I think one of them, if you can go and see it. Um, and we were backstage at a show and she was dressed as Dave and I was in my kind of like, cl- I was in a very clean white suit and we walked past a mirror and she went, I said, oh, we look like the top of like the worst gay wedding cake, like just a, the messiest man. She was covered in fake blood and fake vomit. And I was in, my, and anyway, we went, we went to bed that night. She woke up in the morning. We we're having breakfast. And she said, um, that made it sound like we slept together. We did not sleep <laughs> it together. Really did. It really did. It really did. So we tried it once. And, um, <laughs> but this is where her theater brain worked. She was kind of ticking over, laying in bed, thinking about it. And she said, we should do that. Like we should get married because this is before gay marriage was legal. I'm telling this story very badly in a very long way. But um, uh, gay marriage was not legal and was not even close, not even a conversation in Australia yet. And this is 2016. Um, And she said, we should pitch it to Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is like the biggest comedy festival in Australia. And they were like, yes, let's do that. And so we just suddenly, it just became this thing. Uh, We turned it into a charity event to raise money for uh, at-risk queer teens. And it just grew and grew until like, Hannah Gadsby was um, our was the host of the show, who we were both very good friends with, and uh, suddenly just all these different groups and performers started getting involved until it became this kind of bonanza, and it got on like a lot of press in Australia, like it kind of broke the internet in Australia, where because suddenly all the conservative newspapers had heard, <laughs> oh, there's a couple gays that want to get gay married, and they're ruining the sanctum of marriage, blah blah blah. Um, Anyway, so on the night, it turned into this, like, uh, it's online. You can see Hannah do this speech that a lot of that speech has ended up in Nanette. Like, she wrote (laughs) this kind of incredible thing about what this means and how the fact that we can't get marriage is uh, institutionalised violence against the queer community. Like, like we had said to her, do you mind, like, just at the start of the show, just say a little something, like, literally three minutes, say something. And she did this 15-minute perfect takedown of not having marriage equality and like people were bawling but then we also had people with getting bottles smashed over their heads like as a Jeez. joke and like like as they were sugar glass it was all oh oh that was part of the show yes yeah, sorry I yeah thought, i thought no, no, a yeah. riot ensued someone that night 
Um, and and uh, so part of the problem in Australia was that you legally had to say in a wedding at the time, married, um, uh, the celebrant would have to say um, the by the Australian Marriage Act, marriage is between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. And so we had a big banner drop down with to the with that exact thing written on it, and we made the whole audience say it out loud so they could understand how fucking insane that was yeah. in the sentence. And like, I'm not explaining this well of how bizarre and big no, it was. I mean. I mean, your backwards upside down country is very bizarre to me. Yes. So you could say anything. Um, you could say the <laughs> weddings legally had to be administered by a koala, and I'd believe it because I love Australia. But it is like it is like it's like um, the Twilight Zone yes. for me. Being raised in America and then going to Australia, it's like everything is almost familiar. Yes, I, I say it's like. If you could, it's like going to America 20 years ago. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And because also we're, um, we always like to think of ourselves as like your, your, your like little annoying cousin. Like we will go to war. We love you. Um, the, and I always find when I interact with people from overseas and if I'm in the UK or the States, if they've been to Australia, like, I don't know, even when the day that when we were at Wigstock, I was talking to Bob the Drag Queen. He was saying, she was saying that like, oh, you're from Australia, race, most racist place I've ever been in my life. And I would agree. It is like a bizarrely, for a place that is like, has the biggest gay festival in the world. And uh, like, we seem like quite an open liberal country. And then you go there and we are on this kind of strange underlying level, like a deeply racist country. We're kind of still deeply misogynistic country like it's just this kind of I mean I know this is a conversation that is also the entire world yeah (laughs) still kind of is but you know we're a country that comes from um we're we're built on a colony that was like you know one of the oldest uh civilizations of all time was just sitting in there and we we still talk about it as if Australia started 200 years ago like and that's like a constant a constant thing yeah well, <laughs> sorry, I really, uh... no, I mean, it's, it's just like, a, I don't know. I feel like we are at this point right now where we just have to accept that everything is fundamentally flawed, yeah. but that's not a reason to give up trying to make it better. Yeah. You know, I think that's like, I think that's the big thing that conservative or quote unquote traditional people have a really hard time with is they're like, but it's always been this way Mm. and it's always been fucked up. You know, like, like just because something has been happening for a long time doesn't mean it was ever right. (laughs) And also quite often when you look at it, some specific things, it hasn't always been that way. Like we had a weird thing in Australia where um, we have a thing called Australia Day. Which is essentially, I guess, the equivalent is Columbus Day, which is just a bit like, oh, are we, yeah. is this a good thing to be celebrating? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, this marks for a, for a particular big part of the country, this is not a day to celebrate. And, like, yeah. if you're um, more left-leaning, you, we tend to call it Invasion Day in Australia. And there's a big thing in Australia where they want to change the date. They want to change the date of Australia Day to, we want to celebrate Australia but not this day. And the amount of, like, white right people that are like, well, no, it's always been this way. And if you actually look at the history of Australia Day, we've only celebrated on that date since like the early 90s. Like, do you know, like, so I mean, it's not and actually a thing. That's the power of conditioning. You know, that's the power of people in charge deciding the way they want it to be and then yeah. spinning a narrative for so long that we actually believe it to be natural. We believe it to be the way it's always been. But really, I mean, like in America, it's very similar to like there's lots of things where it's like, oh, it's just always been that way. But if you actually look back in history, it's like, no, that kind of started in the 50s as the government's response to like, okay, well, we've been in two world wars. Our country was like running fast and loose for a while. So now that the war is over, let's find a way to get everyone back to what we think it should be. And they created the story of returning to normal after the Second World War. Like, we have to return to normal. 
but they created a new narrative of what normal yeah, was. Yeah, what normal is, yeah. And and then pushed that narrative so hard that that's like, you know, people of our generation were raised thinking that, that that's normal, so we have to stay there because that's what it's always been. And but it's like- also, and it's that thing of like in, you know, this is a, a big conversation, but like it, creating invisible enemies, like the war on drugs and the war yeah. on, te- like all like it's all that, it's all the same narrative of like, that, like, let's create a thing that can't actually really be fixed and an unattainable goal so we're constantly in a state of flux and confusion for, the, yeah. for everyone. Yeah. And... Anyway, drag. <laughs> no, it makes me very happy to hear that um, the newest judge to the drag race family is um, so plugged in and um, willing to talk. My- my fiance will listen to this and just be like, he read that this morning. He's not. <laughs> Let's talk about your fiance. So you've been, um, oh, yeah. you had a stunt marriage um, yeah. and now you're engaged um, yeah. in, a, in a more like a, in a, in a way that I'm in love. Last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this one can stand a chance. Well, that was uh, the thing at, at the wedding with Zoe, like our, our um, we had, cause she's been with her partner for, close to 10 years and I've been with my partner for close to 10 years and we had them there as our bridesmaid and groomsmen. <laughs> Perfect. And and so our, um, uh, what are they called? Like the vows to each other, like mine were, Zoe, I am not in love with you. From the moment I met you, I realised <laughs> I am not and will never be in love with you. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. Um, uh, and when they said you meant now kiss the bride, uh, we turned around and kissed our actual partners and um, that was the, maybe the most satisfying kiss of to to, <laughs> to kiss someone in front of like a like a <laughs> close to a thousand people at a at a fake wedding was really nice, um, yeah. but yeah we've been together uh, for yeah like ten years this year, which I think has been re like we were meant to get married in May uh, but cancelled our wedding and uh, there there was this global health crisis and I don't know if you've been keeping up with that but um. Uh, anyway, so we couldn't get married, but we've been engaged for like five years now. And I think it's it's one of the reasons I think I've never, uh, like I've, I've been in a relationship my almost my whole career. So, which kind of means I've like missed, I've not had as much messiness <laughs> as I absolutely, like I was in quite a bad place when we first got together. I was like very unhealthy and not very happy. And then it kind of like, it meant like I would I reckon I, I would have crashed and burned and not been a comedian anymore if I hadn't have gotten to my relationship. And not in a kind of like, you know, I'm not like uh what's the word? What is it when you rely on someone too much? Codependent. But, yeah, I'm not we're not codependent on each other, like but it's he says thinking they might be codependent on each other. <laughs> um so no, I think about it. But like it it is I think a really uh privileged thing that I got to like meet him when I was twenty. <laughs> I hear that. I mean, like, I'm I'm married to my partner now, and we haven't been together as long as you and your partner. But I think the moment we met, it was obvious that we had met the person we had been waiting for yes. for a while. Um, I can't, you know, I won't speak for for Michael, but when I met Michael, I was like, No, you're wait. married. You can do that. Now. <laughs> when I met him, I was like, Wait, you actually exist? Um, <laughs> Yeah. And it was a lot of things, you know, it was like, um, you know, I, I, I think going back to conditioning, you know, I, I guess I had thought like, oh, marriage couldn't possibly be for me or finding the love of my life couldn't possibly be for me because yeah. I'm such a tall order. I'm a drag queen. I'm gender non-binary, trans femme. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, riddled with anxieties. Uh, like and, and I think that's also the narrative that you kind of get a little bit like queer that you either, um, like there's a there's a lot of storytelling in queer dramas, particularly that are kind of like, even the phrase, like I've stopped using it a long time ago, but the phrase of like, oh, well, that's a thousand years in, like in gay years, yeah, like is such an infuriating thing to me now. Like, I don't know why, I don't know when it turned, but it just suddenly went like, well, we're not dogs. <laughs> and like it's... <laughs> well, here's the thing is I still very much say that and believe in it. I mean, I say drag queen years because he, the the thing about drag queens is we live hard and fast. And... Oh, absolutely. But do you mean like I, <laughs> I, I think of it as like show business years, but I mean yeah. like when you say something like, um, 
you know, they've been together for a month, oh, but that's like a year in gay years. It's like that to me is like, well, I, but we're, I, we're allowed monogamy. I think that's dying down. You know, I think th- I, I think that's on the way out. Um, but uh, I will say as a drag queen, I've come to accept that the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. So I'm yeah. just taking everything as quickly as I can get. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of things out of the way early just in case <laughs> there's not time for it later. Um <laughs> But you, you've been with your partner um, 10 years, you're engaged, and um, you are monogamous, which is yeah. a dying breed these days. Yeah. Um, I have no staunch opinions one way or the other, because um, for me, uh, an open relationship really works. And for yes, Michael absolutely. and I, we've been open since the moment we started dating. We were monogamous for one night, and then we had a big talk about it, and by... By day well, two a, of our relationship, we were that's like... That's a week in gay days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think what we're seeing now is that, like, there's just room for all of it. You know, there's Absolutely. room for the monogamous. There's room for the open. We do not have to judge one another's life choices. Um, no, you know. I'm so glad that's turning as well. Because, yeah, I definitely, I think when I was younger, I was one of those people that would happily say quite, like, I was... Again, one of those people, and these both things changed. I used to um, just flippantly say that bisexuality doesn't exist and flippantly say that, um, and this is when I was like, you know, 20, 21, uh, and flippantly say that open relationships don't work. And I don't know why I had those opinions. And then you like grow up a little bit. And first of all, my my fiance is bisexual. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, no, that that, uh, that seems to work. No, he, he seems to find women and men attractive. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the, the monogamy just worked for me only because I know what I'm like. Like, I think there's this, I think the problem, what I think the problem is, is you create, you kind of, the other side of the coin fetishizes the other side. Yeah. Like, as in, for me, it'd always be like, well, maybe I'd like to try a threesome once, but that couldn't work long-term because I'm hugely jealous. (laughs) And I know that it's my, it's, but I used to put that on other people, I think. I think the I think the big thing is is anything can work if it's your choice. Yes. You know, monogamy works if it's not something that you're doing because you feel like you have to or you feel like your relationship is illegitimate if it's not monogamous. Yes. You know, and that's a narrative we've been fed since birth. Mm-hmm. Um is that like to have sex My outside penguins. of the relationship means that um the relationship couldn't possibly be um, loyal and lasting, um, and 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 trustworthy. I think trust seems to be the big thing that people have a problem with, and that's what I think I always couldn't tackle in my head until I now see. I have plenty of friends that are in non-monogamous relationships, and it totally works. And it's like, of course it does. Like, of course it does. Yeah, with both things, it's if you're able to communicate openly and transparently with your partner, anything can work. Any arrangement can work, but it means everyone being completely forthright. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said to my partner, Michael, when when we had the conversation about being open, which is to me, having sex with someone else isn't a deal breaker. Yeah. So I would rather be open and maybe have some bumps in the road, but talk about it rather than feign monogamy. And then like, if one of us were to cheat on each other or sleep with someone else in the relationship under the umbrella of monogamy, we would then feel pressured to end the relationship. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas if, you know, like, it's like that for me, it was like, I'd rather be open and talk about it as it, as we go along rather than um, potentially make a mistake and have everything come crashing down because we were feigning this idea of monogamy is the only way to go. Yeah. Um, And I see, and I I was having a conversation with my sister about this only about a couple of weeks ago where we have, we both have incredibly strong opinions about monogamy and cheating and neither, like our parents have never cheated on each other. We've never kind of had it, like we've never had people cheat on us. We've never cheated on people. But like for some reason we both have these incredibly strong, like if, yes, if Kyron, my partner, if he was to um, cheat on me, it would be a, like an absolute deal breaker. And I don't know why. I'm sure I'll <laughs> talk to a professional about that at some point. And I have fr- plenty of friends who have had like, 
have cheated on their partners or been cheated on and they've stayed together. And to me that like boggles the mind. And I don't, I don't know. It's something, it's something to uh, perhaps talk about uh, with someone that I give money to and they uh, dismantle that for me and feed it back to me in a way that I can cope with it. This may um, be a loaded question now that we've Mm -hmm. talked about monogamy, but I ask every guest towards the end of the episode. Um, So I'm going to ask you to suspend your disbelief here for a moment and pretend like you're not in love and fully monogamous. (laughs) Who is your your celebrity crush? And when I ask this question, I mean, like, who, if they showed up at your doorstep right now with the intent, express purpose to have sex with you, would you say... Fuck everything else in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bang it can, out. Can can I ask questions about because the first person to come to my head is not a pure attraction, like it's not a physical attraction thing, and I think it's a bit of a cliche answer. But my person is um, John Mulaney. Uh, oh yeah, the cliche of everyone wants to fuck John Mulaney. Oh well, yeah, but, well but aware. I, I guess it's the I guess it's the the fucking part. Of, I think. Um, and I, I, I am open about this uh, with, and I think I've said this in other things before. He's kind of my go-to because I think we could. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if he'd be happy with me, but I would happily live with John. Like he's my, he's my number two. And yeah, he's a straight man, and he probably wouldn't want to have sex with me. Um, but uh, John Mulaney is my like relationship crush, um, and he just seems like just a. Every interview that I ever see with him, and this is the embarrassing thing as well, like. I might get to work with him one day. And this is why I need to stop saying his name <laughs> in interviews. Um, but the, um, I guess, oh, who's my celebrity crush? I mean, there's so many just like, just Pete, when you, you know when you're scrolling through Instagram and like there's just a, there's just a body <laughs> that you're like, wow. It's just a, well, there's a bounty of sexiness out there we're in a we're in a time of sexual revolution and, and see, there's there's pushback you know there's a lot of slut shaming there's a lot of old school tra- uh, yeah. uh, conditioning still being placed on our sexualities but the ability to fight back is greater than ever um yeah. and there is slut celebration now more than ever before so yeah you scroll through instagram you never well, know when you're gonna get turned on let me have a th- <laughs> let me have a pro- because like I have this weird thing where, um, I don't know if this is a a thing to talk about, but I don't, I think this is common though. I find a man in underwear so much hotter than a naked man. Yeah, that's that's called an underwear fetish. It's that simple. (laughs) But I guess like, yeah, like. I I mean, there's different levels of it. Yeah, like I don't want to eat the underwear or like, I don't want to like touch the underwear. Ball it up and insert it inside you. Yeah, but no, it's like. I like just the look of it, like, because I think, and it's probably some sort of internalized thing of like, I, I just don't uh, like a, a big old hard dick, <laughs> like in, in context is great, but just kind of out of, like, I don't find dick pics that attractive because it's just like, Oh my God, like that's a surprise. I don't like a disembodied dick. Yeah. Like that's like, it needs to be attached to someone that I respect in some way. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I've I mean, talk- I've seen dick pictures where it's just a picture of a beautiful penis, and I'm like, objectively, that's a lovely. That's a handsome penis, dick, but it doesn't do anything for me until I know who it's attached to. I found this. I was talking to a friend about this a while ago, and I, I, I want to maybe turn it into something. I think some material eventually, perhaps, is that like as I get older, I've realized um, the porn that I look at is attainable people, <laughs> like people that I'm like. Oh no, I could. I reckon I could have sex with it. Like, well, I, thanks I don't... to the age of self-produced porn, there's, you know, we are now yes. seeing more, um, more real-world people celebrating their sexuality than like, we ever have before. And that I think is kind of what thing. I want. Like, yeah. I don't want. Um, like, I've, I, I reckon it's been close to a decade since I've looked at porn that was like made professional. Like, there was more than one person behind the camera. <laughs> You know what I mean? Studio like, porn, yeah. Yeah, I like, yeah, a cup. It helps if they're a couple. Who knows what that <laughs> means? Uh, maybe they've got like. Um, history between them. History between them. 
Um, did you? Anyways, I'm just talking. You about porn you want now. some romance in your porn? <laughs> I want some, or just someone that's kind of like you know, an occasional consent check. You know, just stuff <laughs> like or like fumbling. I like fumbling. <laughs> Yeah, in studio porn, they cut out all the awkward moments of putting the condom on backwards at first. and Yeah, um, and the um, kind of like... Attaining the appropriate lube level, you know? Someone's back getting sore. Yeah. Like that kind of like... <laughs> um, yeah, the moment of like bonking your heads together and being like, sorry. You know? Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and the kind of like, or like laugh, because it... Look, what am I... It's... As you get older, it happens either less or more, I think. But an occasional, this is funny, during sex is pretty great to me, I yeah. think. Like it's Because it is funny. It yeah. is the most ridiculous thing that humans do. And we're one of the few things that do it for pleasure. And I find that so funny. Like, And so if you can capture that moment in porn, that's please. what Reese is looking for. You hear that, porn directors? Yeah. <laughs> My search term is fumble. But yeah, fumble. Fumbler is, a, is an app I'm working on. It's going to make me billions. <laughs> Well, today I will say my celebrity crush is you, Reese Nicholson, oh, because thank you. I have a I have a colleague crush on you because I love the work that you do. I have a you're just you're just an objectively attractive person because I'm very much into Faye little um Faye Dunaway. <laughs> Faye Faye pale little moon faced gingers. <laughs> <laughs> so you really do it for me. Um but you know. Um, more all Thank respect you, to Jinx. you and oh, your your, your long term you relationship. Though. Seeing as you've been um you've been in a relationship for a hundred gay years now at this point. <laughs> for, a full, just, for a full gay century. We're dead. <laughs> oh, I've just realized and I'm only thinking this because I listened to the episode the other day and he's a friend of mine as well. But I reckon Joel Kim Booster is a pretty good I reckon I, I would happily have That's sex a good with Joel celebrity Kim Booster. crush. Yeah. Um well, you know, I wish you I wish you all the continued success. Besides um, besides getting people to watch Drag Race Down Under, do you have anything else you'd like to plug? Anything else out there? Um, <laughs> I've got a Netflix special you can watch. It's on Netflix worldwide. I'm pretty happy with it. It's the last, it's the last, actually the last time I did a full solo show on stage, I was on stage for an hour and a half, was almost two <laughs> years ago now filming that special. So uh, go and watch my special. Yeah, I think it, what's it called? Live at the Athenaeum. Go and watch that on Netflix. And I don't know. I'm just around. Follow me on Instagram. Follow, follow, me on stuff. follow Reese on Instagram because um, <laughs> it's it's good posts. I'd say about ninety percent of your posts are you with the the old age filter oh on. God. I don't know why I do that. And for but... whatever reason, it just looks real. It's <laughs> it's that scary Russian app. This is called Face App, and they're just have at. They just it, having a wander through my about, phone every day. There's something about you with an old age filter on feels like we're peering into your soul. Yeah, like that's you me. You have the soul of an old person. Yeah. In the body of a of a little um <laughs> I'm I'm the um, I I'm the call witch you a twin Game of Thrones. You look when too I take... much like an elf. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's actually very twinky. You're you're a fantasy twink. You're a Dungeons and Dragons twink. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a twonk. Which, yeah, we're born in the mountains and we live in caves. Um, I'd say more of a twank. Twank, yeah. Well, well, we now we know what I like to have a twank too. So that's, that's it. Well, thank you very much. I really thank and you. I really am so happy to be on this podcast because I'm a fan of the podcast. Oh, I've listened to the you. first two episodes, and to be to be mentioned in the same list of those people, I'm very pleased. Honestly, like I can't believe I I can't believe people keep saying yes. <laughs> I thought I'd be scraping the bottle, bottom of the barrel by now, but no, we're think, having. And we've got a soundbite for the ad for the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Reese. Thank you, Jinxie. And thank you to everyone listening out there. Uh, this has been Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite <laughs> podcast app and hit subscribe. <laughs> you can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. You can follow Reese. It's it's. R H Y S. Yes, it's a stupid spelling. It's, it's a stupid really. Spelling. I don't. It's stupid. I've oh, never understood. Actually, it. and you can also follow. <laughs> I I, I realize. Um, can I be an annoying and plug one other thing very very plug quickly? It. 
Um, I co-own a comedy club called the Comedy Republic in Melbourne and we run comedy most nights and it's a really great, safe, um, independent, queer, friendly uh, space. So come and see shows at the Comedy Republic. Okay. The Comedy Republic in Melbourne. The Comedy Republic. I made it to the end of the episode without doing my Australian accent for it's you. It's a good one though. You're a red. You're... I like it. You know, but I'm only good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only good at it <laughs> when I'm actually in Australia because yeah. um, it's one of those things where I have this thing where when I'm in Australia, I feel like I start adopting the dialect a little bit because it's hard for people to understand me if I don't speak mm. in the similar intonation. So even if I'm not doing the accent, I'll have a tendency to kind of talk like this. Yeah. You know, in my American accent, I talk like this so it's, that the intonation is something that you recognise. <laughs> we go up at the end because we're not sure of ourselves and we're not confident of what we're saying because we're just a little country and we've got a lot to prove. Little country, big dreams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for thank your you. services, Reese Nicholson. <laughs> and I'll see all the rest of you, everyone but Reese, next Wednesday for some more... Forever To listen to Hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hijinks five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.